seat next to you. Ben spoke last week about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to carry on um, the little series you're on, on the power and the love and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our churches as we meet together, as we worship Jesus. And remember, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. You all know this, but let me just do some basics on the Trinity. The Trinity is simply something that we use to explain a reality that has come out of the experience of the people of God. So it's not a doctrine that we thought up later on. It's something we had to think up because it was what they were experiencing as the people of God. So you remember in the Old Testament, God revealed him, the one true God revealed himself to the people of Israel, and it's what set them apart from all the other ancient Near Eastern religions who had loads of gods, loads of different gods, chaotic gods, nasty gods, kind gods, gods that interfered, gods that were aloof and didn't really have anything to do with people on earth. And then Israel had this encounter with the one true living God who set himself apart from all other gods, was above all other gods, and became what set the Israelites, the people of God, apart from the other people in the ancient Near Eastern world. And that continues on. during the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we start to learn more and more about this one true God of Israel. So that's one God. In the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, to the excitement of the disciples and those who were Israelites, those who knew the one true God of Israel, what they suddenly realize is, here in the person of Jesus is the same God that we've been worshiping for all of these years. Exactly the same God, same character traits, same power, same spirit. All of the prophecies in the Old Testament, they realize as they read it, pointed to this one God making himself known in the Messiah, in the person of Jesus. So then they conclude, well, there must be two gods, but one person. So it's two in one. So it's God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, present in them, doing the same stuff that they experienced through the God of Israel in the Old Testament. So then Jesus says something peculiar at the end of his time with them. He says, it's better that I go so that I can send the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will live in you. And what you will find is you'll be able to then do the stuff that I have shown you to do on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is my spirit. So then the, um, the disciples experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. They have this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then they suddenly find that the same Jesus who was walking with them, sleeping in the same room with them, eating with them, talking with them, was the same God and the presence that they now experience in their own hearts. And that's the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the only conclusion they could come to, well, this is three in one. Same God three persons. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about Jesus. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. Now here's the thing that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the way into our Christian faith. It's the way on in our Christian faith, and it's the ultimate goal of our Christian faith. Nobody becomes a Christian apart from by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how we, when we're born again. We're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you, are, when you become a Christian, you have that change in heart, you have that change in mind about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, his resurrected power. You decide to give your life to him. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, then seals your heart with his presence. So everybody here has the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit if we're Christians. If we don't consider ourselves to be Christians or we're not used to church, then the Holy Spirit is still someone we can experience, but it's not someone who lives in our heart and dwells in our heart on a permanent basis. So, three in one, Holy Spirit, but it's also the way on in the Christian faith. So we don't just receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. 
we then go on being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can do the stuff that we're called to do. Because the whole point of Christianity is that we spend time with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and then we start doing the stuff that Jesus did. That's what it means to become a Christian. It doesn't mean coming to church on Sunday. It doesn't mean reading your Bible, although that's a good thing to do. Both of those things are good things to do. It has nothing to do with what it means to become a Christian and go on being a Christian. The whole point of being a Christian is to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do the stuff he did. The only way we're ever going to do that is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by receiving and being filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Spirit of God the Father. Same, three in one. No difference whatsoever. So it's the way on in the Christian life, but also when you read the whole narrative of the Bible, it's the ultimate end of the Christian life. Because in Revelation 21, what we read about is this prophetic end-time vision of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again and the heavenly city is going to dwell and God says, Behold, I am going to be with my people and they will be with me. It's the fullness of the presence of God. There's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more mourning. Um, the old order of things has passed away, and behold, I'm making everything new. What's that newness? It's the fullness of the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit covering the whole earth. In the Psalms, it talks about the water flooding the earth. So it doesn't just live in us at the end. It's going to then cover the entire earth. And when it does, it's going to feel like heaven on earth. And so as the church, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our point is to be a taste of what's to come in Revelation 21. So this is what church is about. This is what your life is about if you're a Christian. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can take a day off on Sunday, but you come to church to get filled up. And then you go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We are to bring God's power. We're to flood the earth with the presence of God. The only way we're going to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Ben spoke last night about what we're going to do. Last night, last week, sorry. Last week about what we're going to do about Jenny. Not Not your Jenny, Jenny here. Jenny from his old church. Do you remember that story? He spoke about Jenny, who grew up in a cult, who had a horrific childhood, terrible experiences growing up, and then shows up at church incredibly nervous because she distrusts any kind of religion whatsoever, has this incredible encounter with the power and the love of Jesus, which is an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then her life is completely turned around as a result. What are we going to do at HT in Sydenham in Forest Hill when people like Jenny show up at our door? It's the same at St. Peter's in Broccoli. Last week, someone showed up for our newcomer's meal. It might have been the week before, actually. Two weeks ago, someone showed up for our newcomer's meal. First Sunday she's ever come. And her mum died of cancer when she was a teenager. Her dad then um, tried to commit suicide two years later and has been depressed ever since. She's just lost her long-term partner. Never been to church before in her life. She shows up at St. Peter's, walks through the door and says, I'm desperate, can you help? What are we going to do for her as a church? How can we help her? There was a stabbing two roads away from St. Peter's um, four weeks ago now. Horrific, because it involved kids who are at the same school as my children. And the partner uh, fatally stabbed the, the wife or the mum, the partner, in the presence of the kids. And the kids are then going to our school. Um, Myatt Garden, which is a school that our girls go to. We get connected in a number of different ways to the family and the friends of this family and the children, and some of them show up on Sunday. And you can imagine what kind of state they show up on Sunday, never been to church before in their lives. What are we going to do for people like that? Are we going to offer them really nice coffee? Are we going to offer them decent music that they can get at a gig? if they want to go to that? 
Are we going to offer them some sort of inspirational talk that they might be able to get anywhere? They can go on YouTube and get inspiration. Can I suggest the only thing we have to offer them as a church is an encounter with the love and with the power of the Holy Spirit? And as a church, it's our job to create an environment here where when people come through that door, they don't encounter us. They will encounter us, but they don't encounter us and our problems and everything else going on. They don't encounter really slick talk or really slick worship or really nice coffee or a lovely production or anything like that. They encounter nothing short of the power and the presence and the love of God because that is the only thing that's going to transform their hearts. Because they have broken hearts. People come in with broken hearts. They're imprisoned. They're held captive by the trauma of the world because there's so much going on that's so difficult. And the only thing that can break them out of that and give them freedom is the power and the presence and the love of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. So how are we going to do that as a church? Let me ask this question. Forget the person coming in through the door. We as the church, by the way, we're the only organization that exists for the benefit of those who don't come. No other organization does that. We do that at the church. So we need to be thinking about people who are going to be walking through these doors. How are we going to help them? It's not going to be through anything but the power and the presence of God. But what about us? What does, uh, what does our faith have to offer us? Because we're all hurting. I mean, you all look pretty well together. You look like you're doing all right. I'm hurting. Day by day, I need something to help me keep going. There is pain in my life. There are things in my life that have broken my heart that needs healing. Whether it's been done to me in the past or whether it's something in my own flesh, my own sin that I've done to myself or to other people. So what do we have to offer us? Do we, are, we, are we happy with a church that has nice coffee and decent music and inspirational? Are we happy with that? Or do we actually want to create an environment where we come in week by week and we experience nothing short of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to heal our broken hearts. It's only the Holy Spirit that's going to set us free from the trauma in our life, from the things that are going on. And we don't need to make this stuff up. Like, it's havoc out there. When you think about the cost of living crisis, you think about COVID, you think about war, you think about your neighborhoods, the trauma that's going on in Forest Hill and Sydenham. We need a church that has a solution to that. Can I suggest that the solution is the power and the presence of God? Nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. The solution is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is a great passage to look at as we think about that. So last week, Ben talked about the love of the Holy Spirit. So when we experience the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, we experience the love. He also talked about it's the fact that the Holy Spirit sets us apart. So this isn't a community club. There's nothing short of the presence and the power of God because it's his Holy Spirit that sets us apart. But also, it's through the Holy Spirit that we have the power to do the stuff that Jesus did. This week, I want to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit, when we feel the Holy Spirit, it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm not anti-warm, fuzzy feelings. I love warm, fuzzy feelings. I think they're really important. I love warm, fuzzy feelings that are caused by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think they're even better. But you can get warm, fuzzy feelings when you watch anyone other than England in the World Cup. You can get warm, fuzzy feelings when you watch uh, an incredible concert which stirs the emotions. You can get warm, fuzzy feelings elsewhere. Can I suggest a difference between those warm, fuzzy feelings and the warm, fuzzy feelings that you get when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it only the Holy Spirit? spirit that goes on to then transform your heart and your life and your mind and we find ourselves becoming more like the person of Jesus so here's a passage it's Ephesians 5 and from verse 14 it says this this is why it said wake up sleeper rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you 
Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. My experience of most churches in this country is that they're asleep. We're sleepwalking through life. And actually, when you look at the stats of the church in this country, it's only going one way. Church attendance is only, particularly in the Anglican church, it's only going one way. Why? Because we're asleep. Why we're asleep? It's because we've numbed ourselves. We're trying to numb the pain with things other than the presence and the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's talking about here. Okay? So why does he make that comparison between alcohol and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you what the comparison, the, the thing he's got in mind as he's talking about that. And this is why he says, wake up. We have numbed ourselves with things other than the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In this instance, he uses the example of alcohol. So when we drink alcohol in excess, what it does is it numbs some of the pain that we're experiencing. It numbs the broken heart that we live with day in, day out, and it helps us forget some of our problems. That's why alcoholism is on the rise at the moment. Cost of living crisis actually equals a bigger dependency for our, us in the community in Forest Hill and Sydney on alcohol because it numbs the pain for a little bit. What it does is it's a depressant, not a depressant in the sense that it makes you depressed, but it stops the neuro pathways in your brain. Um, it goes around some of the painful experiences we're having at the moment, and it creates this false sense of happiness and lack of responsibility, and it numbs the pain for a little while. Now, Paul's making a direct comparison here on purpose because he's, not, he's acknowledging, he's not, he's not saying there isn't pain in life. He's not saying that we're not going to struggle in our Christian faith. It's one of the biggest lies of the Christian faith. If you can just trust in Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, then your life is just going to get better and better and better and better and you'll be blessed with lots of money and health and everything. That's absolute nonsense. It's not in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with Christianity as Jesus lived out Christianity. The point is that we are still going to be experiencing suffering in our life. We're still going to be hit by a cost of living crisis. We're still still going to be hit by COVID. Now, the difference is, as Christians, we don't need to numb the pain. So how do you numb the pain currently? Is it alcohol? Is it mindless, endless scrolling through social media? Is it getting yourself involved in other people's business the whole time? Is it religion? Religion is a brilliant numbing of pain because we just find ourselves busy the whole time trying to tick the right boxes in order to feel like we're doing the right thing. That is another way of simply numbing the pain underneath. What it does is it works for a little while, but when you wake up Monday morning, you realize that all the problems are still there. Nothing's been sorted as a result. Can I tell you the difference between numbing the pain and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't do away, it doesn't get rid of the pain. Instead, it makes us more aware of the resources that we have the same resources, by the way, that raised Jesus from the dead, the resources that we have in order to be able to deal with the pain, do something about the cause of the pain. Let me tell you some of the resources that you get when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's going on being filled. 
So you don't just get filled with the Holy Spirit once. Paul's encouragement here is go on being filled. He speaks in the present tense imperative, something like that. I'm not very good at English literature. But the whole point in the Greek is he says, go on being filled. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you read about the experience of the disciples in the New Testament, they're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time event, and then they go off and they're happy. They're constantly relying on the presence and the power of God to fill them so that they can do what they're called to do, to fill them so that they're healed from the brokenheartedness, the trauma of their lives, to fill them so that they have the resources to deal with the stuff that's coming at them in life. So when we, when we experience the warm fuzzy of the Holy Spirit, the warm fuzzy isn't the point. It's nice, but it's not the point. Do you know what the point is? The point is a transformed heart. The point is the anointing of the power of God to take his presence out into the world. Every time Luke talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit in his gospel and in Acts, it's always in relation to a sharing of the gospel. And often people become Christians as a result. So you get filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can proclaim the gospel of Jesus so that people become Christians. Elsewhere in the Bible, you get filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be set free from captivity, so that prisoners can be released, so that our broken hearts can be bound up in his grace and in his love. So here's some of the things that happen when we get filled from the Holy Spirit from this passage. There's loads, but here's some from this passage. First off, we get filled with wisdom. We don't often associate filled with the Holy Spirit with wisdom, but it's associated here by Paul. He says this, verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Those who are asleep, wake up, not as unwise, but as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, he says, verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is. Therefore, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. First thing that happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we get wisdom. Now, this isn't worldly wisdom. This is very different to worldly wisdom. This isn't invest in the right things, make sure you're making your pension contributions and make sure that you've got your mortgage remortgaged and sorted out for the next 20 years. Not that kind of wisdom. This is the wisdom of following the Holy Spirit because when you follow the Holy Spirit, it's often upside down wisdom. The whole of the kingdom's upside down when you read the gospel. It's got very little to do with worldly wisdom. When you read about it, you realize that Jesus calls us to a totally different lifestyle to those around us. And the thing is, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we get wisdom for the day-to-day, but we also get wisdom for the entirety of our lives. I'll just talk really briefly about those two. Wisdom for the day-to-day. Here, Paul talks about, you know the will of God. So every day, we should be waking up, being filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we have the will of the God for that day. I wouldn't even bother going beyond that day, because there's enough going on in the one day. Don't worry about the rest of the week. Let's get the will of God for that day. How do we get the will of God for that day? You know, Jesus in the gospel, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's totally dependent on God the Father the whole time, which means he's in constant communication with God. Why? He's, he's just going on being filled with his presence and his spirit the whole time. And he knows what to do in any given moment. He has the wisdom of God. Does anyone here need more wisdom in their day today? Yeah, I do. We need to get filled with the Spirit then, every day. Not just on Sunday. Not just every three weeks when the warm fuzzes start. Every day we get filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's not just the day-to-day wisdom. It's also the overarching purpose of our life. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we start to see how he is leading us in life and what vision he has for our life. Because one of the things, we do a course at St. Peter's called the Life Course, and it's for non-Christians, people who wouldn't consider themselves Christian or don't come to church. And the first two weeks, all we do it on is meaning. Because everybody that comes, the reason they're coming is because they realize their life has no purpose or meaning. Not in the day-to-day, in the overarching narrative of their life. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we get meaning back. 
Because we suddenly realize that we're to be with Jesus, we're to become like him, and we're to do the stuff he did. That means we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to get the purpose of our life back, which is bringing the power and the presence of God on earth. Yeah, we work jobs. Yeah, we have families. Yeah, we have relationships. Yes, we do all the other things we do. But in and through all of it, like through a stick of rock, the words that go the whole way through is bring my power, bring my presence, bring my love. The only way we're ever going to have that purpose, which is what we're all created to do, we can try and find it in money, we can try and find it in career, we can try and find it in relationships, but it will make you sick, ultimately, those things. The only way of doing life without feeling sick is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we get purpose every day, we get purpose over the whole life. So get second thing, and Ben touched on this last week, we get power. Verse 16 says this, making the most of every opportunity. So you've got the will of God every day. You've got the will of God over your life when you're filled. We're also filled so that we can make the most of every opportunity. That word opportunity there is a Greek word called kairos. We don't just mean normal time there. It doesn't just mean, oh, here's an opportunity to have a coffee because I've got 10 minutes spare and I've met someone on the street and we can go and have coffee. The difference between that kind of thinking, the kind of thinking that Paul's talking about here with that word kairos, opportunity, is it's, uh, it's, uh, it's got the potential for heaven to break into earth. That's what that word really means. Make the most of every opportunity to see the kingdom come. That would be a better way of translating it. Not that I'm a Bible translator, and I would never suggest there's a better way of translating it. But that is what it means, kairos. It means heaven breaking into earth. So the point is, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we go throughout our day, we suddenly spot signs of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means you can reach out and touch it. It literally means you can reach out and grab it. Now, making the most of every opportunity, which is what Paul's talking about here, is reaching out and grabbing it. Not making the most of every opportunity is not even noticing it. The difference between the two is being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you make the most of every opportunity because you've got your spiritual eyes open and you start to spot heaven break in. So take the coffee example. You meet someone randomly. You've got half an hour spare. You meet them on the street. Rather than say, oh, that's interesting. I've got time to go for a coffee with them. You say, God, is there something that you need me to do in this moment? Because this seems more than a coincidence because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I've got my eyes open to see what it is that you're doing. You sit down and you have a coffee with them and you say, what's going on in your life at the moment? And they say, well, actually, I'm just wandering around because I feel totally depressed and my life's falling to pieces. And you say, brilliant. Well, here is how I can help in and through the power of the Holy Holy Spirit, because God has filled me with the Holy Spirit so I can fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's making the most of every opportunity. Third thing we get when we fill the Holy Spirit is joy. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is what happens in a moment when you suddenly experience the emotion of happiness because of circumstances. So, I don't know, a granddaughter is born, a grandson is born, and the mother, father, the grand. Uh, mother, grandfather feels joy when they hold the baby in their arms for the first time. They say strange things like, I could just eat you, which is just because they've got no language to express how happy they're feeling right now. But they experience joy, don't they? Now, they experience happiness. Now, happiness and joy are two very different things in the Bible. Do you know what joy is? Joy is this underlying rock that we have in our life that is not dependent on circumstances. There's a guy in our church called Harnick, and he's absolutely amazing. He's one of the original congregation there, and he's the happiest man in our church. 
he's the guy we've got all over our website because he smiles the whole time. Every time you take a picture of him, he's smiling. So we plaster him all over the website. It's like, look, Christians are happy. And so they can see it when they look. Anyway, Harnick has had a horrific life. His son, 10 years ago, was stabbed on Wickham Road outside of our church, and he lost his son at the age of 16. Can you imagine the trauma that caused in his life? And he's still working it through every day. The circumstances of his life are incredibly difficult. But when you meet him, you experience this joy that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. What is it? That's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the only explanation we can have. Because in no other environment would you experience that kind of joy in spite of circumstances. So, do you want to be unreasonably happy? If you want to be unreasonably happy, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing, by the way, the scripture for that is sing and make music. So he's talking about joy there. We joyfully sing songs to each other when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Final bit from this passage, verse 19b, says this. We're not just singing and making music in a joyful way. He says this. He says we're singing and making music from our heart. So these aren't just songs of happiness. These are songs of intimacy, and they're songs of love. Now, here's the thing about the Christian life. The kingdom of God begins in the heart. When you read every parable that Jesus gives in Matthew, what you realize, particularly from the Sermon on the Mount, is the problem isn't the structures around of us. The problem isn't the Roman Empire. The problem isn't the Jewish religious rules. The problem here isn't our government. The problem isn't the Church of England or our church. The problem isn't anything to do with that. Do you know where the problem begins? The problem begins in the human heart. Because Jesus came to set our hearts free to deal with sin that dwells in our heart. And so often, the temptation for all of us is to point at other things and say, that's what's wrong, that's what's wrong, that's what's wrong. And do you know what we don't do? We don't look inside and say, what's wrong here? Holy Spirit, what is it that needs healing here? What needs transforming here? Where's the brokenness here where we need to experience? And when we experience, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God starts to deal with the issues of the heart. The translation of the heart that's important. A few weeks ago, especially a few months ago, sorry now, um, I happened to be on my own with our youngest, who's five. I've got three daughters, nine, seven, and five. And Hanel was out with the nine and seven-year-old for the day. And so I was looking after the five-year-old for the day. And normally with a five-year-old, you can kind of get away with putting her in front of Netflix for most of the day. And you can kind of do your own stuff. But this day, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to actually spend time with her. And so I sat there for hours playing puzzles with her and spending time with her and connecting with her. We didn't have any deep theological conversation. We just had a good time together. And we spent hours together throughout the day. In the evening, I gave her her bath. And she's getting ready to get into the bath. And she's running up and down the corridor upstairs in our house, and she's singing, I love my daddy, I love my daddy, oh, I love my daddy. I lo-. She's singing these songs of intimacy and love. Why? Because I spent time with her. There's nothing I did. I'm rubbish at that sort of thing. I'm actually terrible. I can barely do puzzles. But the reason she felt like that is because she spent time with me. She had that time of intimacy and love. And it's exactly the same as us with God. It's very hard to love God from our heart unless we spend time in the presence of his spirit. 
So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we experience the love and the intimacy of God the Father for us, of what Jesus did on the cross. And as we do, we spontaneously start to sing love songs to him. Our thoughts are turned in adoration. Like we've just sung, receive our adoration. We start with who God is and his character and how amazing he is. We go on to sing about the person of Jesus and what he's done on the cross and his love poured out for us. And then as we get to the end of sung worship, we start to sing these songs of intimacy. Why? Because we realize we've spent time with him. We know who he is and he's filling us with his Holy Spirit and we're connected with him in an intimate way. Are you so in love with Jesus that you want to sing spontaneous love songs to him? He doesn't care what your voice sounds like. He literally doesn't care. It can be completely out of tune. What he's after is your heart. How do we give our heart in adoration and love and intimacy to God the Father? We get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not in our own strength. So final question, how do we get filled? Paul says, go on being filled. Jesus says, how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those of us? How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it's imperative. It's the way in, it's the way on, and it's what's going to happen at the end. It's the whole point of Christianity is being filled to overflowing with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we get filled? Well, here's the interesting thing about the biblical narrative is every single one of us here don't deserve to be filled with the presence of God. None of us, not one of us. Why? Because the presence of God... When we talk about God, we talk about someone in whom there is no darkness whatsoever. He's unapproachable light, the Bible talks about the presence of God. So therefore, how is it possible that unapproachable light is able to fill us and come into our heart, which if we're brutally honest with ourselves, is a mixed bag, isn't it? There's parts of our heart that are great, there's parts of our heart where it's corrupt and evil and wrong. So how is that happen? How does that happen? Well, the only way that happens is through the power of the gospel. So here's what we try and do as Christians is we receive the gospel when we become Christians. We say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that there's this free gift of your presence to us. And then what we do is we start walking out of that and we start trying really hard to be a good Christian. And we try and tick all the right boxes. We read our Bible every day. We're kind to our neighbors. We start to do acts of service. We start to do all the things that we think Christianity is all about. And what happens is we get burnt out and we get exhausted and we start to feel ashamed and guilty because we're not able to live up to the standard in the Bible. Do you know what the difference is between a spirit-filled Christian and a non-spirit-filled Christian. It's got nothing to do whether they're Christian or not. It's also got nothing to do whether they've got the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. The difference is a spirit-filled Christian every day wakes up and says to God, I can't do this in my own strength. Would you come and fill me so that I can do what you're asking me to do? It's all about the gospel. What time do we finish? All right. Let me just give you this one thing, because just in case. Here's a beautiful example of this in Luke, because I know you looked at David last week, so I want to chart the difference between David and us now. So in Luke 11, Jesus talks about prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. There's the Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, isn't something to recite every week. The Lord's Prayer is a set of principles in our life as to how we should pray, how we should really depend on God, how we should stay in the vine, which is what he talks about later in John. Anyway, right after he's taught them how to pray, he gives this incredible um, example, parable, if you like, of a friend coming to another friend at midnight and saying, Set, lend me three loaves of bread. Do you know that bit? And then the friend, because of the audacity, gives him uh, food in the middle of the night. And then he says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. 
The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, he says, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, not to those who go to church on Sunday, not to those who read their Bible, not to those who engage in social action, not to those who are really kind to their neighbors, not to those who are doing all the right things as far as Christianity and religion is concerned. How much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's an act of grace. It's a gift. All we need to do is we ask God the Father to fill us. Now here's, here's the interesting thing. Luke 10, 21 Jesus has a revelation before he does this teaching on prayer. It says this, at, the, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, so he has an in, he has a f- infilling of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needs filling with the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and me, how much more do we need filling with the Holy Spirit? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's full of joy. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you'd revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For this is what you were pleased to do. What's he saying there? He's had a sudden revelation of what the gospel is all about. It's got nothing to do with being wise and learned and knowing all the right things. It has everything to do with being like a little child. Children are brilliant at receiving gifts. Adults aren't. We're, we're just not good at receiving gifts. We're rubbish at it. Some of us are. Most of us are terrible at it because we feel bad or we're like, oh, you don't have to give me a gift. Or even asking for gifts. We never ask for gifts. Children do it all the time. My kids are constantly asking for presents and gifts and LOL dolls, which I hate buying, but they ask for them all the time. God, Jesus says, isn't it amazing that rather than being reserved or wise or learned or having knowing all the right things, what is revealed, the presence and the power of God, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is revealed to children. Why? Because they're good at asking for it. None of us deserve to be filled in this way. Psalm 51 just because you were in the Psalms last week. This is David, right? So David has just committed adultery. Can you imagine how he felt after that? He probably felt like he didn't deserve the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in him. So Psalm 51, he's talking about, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. And he keeps going. And then he says, "Create," Verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So he's done something horrifically wrong and all he can do is depend on the grace of God because he doesn't deserve to be filled but his heart wants to be filled. It's the same with us. And the only reason Jesus says all we need to do is ask is because of what he did on the cross. So just quickly, Matthew 27. I'm jumping around but it's worth making the connection. David, other kings in the Old Testament were filled with the Holy Spirit, particular people at particular times for particular purposes, but the presence of the Spirit wasn't widely available to everyone else. How is it that as Christians now, no matter what's going on, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's because of this. In Matthew 27, Jesus is crucified on the cross. He's mocked. He's killed in the most horrific way possible. And then verse 45 of chapter 27 says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who's perfect in every way, 
In him there is no darkness whatsoever. Experience is the one thing he should never have experienced. You know what that is? Separation from God. The Holy Spirit leaving him. Why? Because on the cross he took our place. And he experiences what we should experience because of our own brokenness and sin. And on the cross he takes it upon himself. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he dies in our place and then he's raised three days later so that Jesus can say, how much more will God the Father give to those who ask? It's all about grace. It starts with grace. It goes on with grace. It ends with grace. We never, ever, ever achieve this in our own right. It's all on the dependence of what Jesus did on the cross. So we're going to do this now. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit. So can we...